Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. So we're in a series called Twas the Night Before Christmas, and we want you to picture yourself as little children that are anticipating and waiting and longing for Christmas Day. And even more than that, as we think about the, the night before Christmas, the metaphorical night, we're, we're wanting you to, to, to consider the, the waiting and the longing for Christ not only to come at Christmas, but to return again someday. Last week, if you were here with us, we looked at Zechariah's prophecy of a long-awaited visitation. And the good news of Christmas today that we're celebrating is that the one our hearts long for has come. He has come. So now the question is this, who is he? Who is Jesus and why did he come? So let's take a look at John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14. This is the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, out of all the gospel accounts, John is not the story you would choose for your Sunday school Christmas pageant. After all, there would be no parts for the kids, right? No Mary, no Joseph, no shepherds, no angels or wise men. John just zeroes in on one person, Jesus. Jesus gets all the attention. All the spotlight is on him. John is very eager to show us who Jesus is. He's not wasting any time. I love what John Piper says. He says, it took John three years to figure out the fullness of who Jesus is, but he doesn't want his readers to take more than three verses. John does this for a reason. He wants you to know who Jesus is, and why he came, so that you would believe in him. That's why he's writing his gospel. In John 20, verse 31, we see the reason for his writing. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's his purpose. He wants you to believe. That word believe is repeated 98 times in the book of John. So this is the reason why he's writing, that you would know who Jesus is and believe in him. And so with that in mind, I want to look at three questions as we walk through this text together. You can think of them as the three big questions this Christmas. Number one, 
Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is Jesus? Number two, why did he come? What's his purpose and reason for coming? And then three, what's your response? What's your response to Jesus this Christmas? Let's just take those one at a time. So number one, who is Jesus? Look back with me at verses one to three again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John starts his gospel with, in the beginning was the word. That should ring a bell, all right? All the way back to the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, put alongside John 1-1, we see God beginning his word by telling us, in the beginning, God, and now John starts his gospel, in the beginning was the word. So John is making a point about Jesus. As we'll see, Jesus is the word that became flesh. So John's telling us that Jesus' life didn't begin in the manger. In fact, it didn't have a beginning at all. Jesus has always been. As far back as you can go into eternity past, Jesus was there. He always existed. He's eternal. No beginning or end. And because he's eternal... Jesus was with God, Jesus was God, and Jesus was not made. Jesus has always been with God in the sense that Jesus is one of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus has always had perfect fellowship, perfect communion with the Godhead. And that baffles our mind to consider that before anything was created, we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect communion and fellowship with one another, no needs whatsoever, just in perfect harmony in relationship. So Jesus is with God, but not only is he with God, he was God. Jesus is, in fact, God, not only the Son of God, but God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. Jesus is God. And I know that's a mystery for some of us, and yet it's reality. It's clear in Scripture. And if we had time, I could show you dozens of verses where Jesus' actions and his words proclaim this reality of his deity. So Jesus was with God, Jesus was God, and Jesus was not made. Verse 3 again says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Essentially, John is telling us here is that Jesus is not a created being. And we know there are, are cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Mormons who believe differently. They don't uh, affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. They consider, well, if Jesus is the Son, then he must have been from the Father, and so he cannot possibly be God. And yet scripture is clear in verse 3, all things were made through him. Colossians 1.16 says the same thing. Paul writes, for by him all things, that's everything, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so right out of the gate, John is eager for you to know that Jesus is the son of God. That's the big point he's making here. Jesus is the Son of God. A few verses later in John 1.14, 
John writes, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And so this, this word is a living person. He's the Son of God. And there's a beauty and there's a, a transcendent kind of glory to seeing Jesus as the Son of God. He's God. He's above us. He's, he's before us. He made every one of us. The baby in the manger is the sovereign ruler of the universe. There's a glory to that. There's a beauty to that. He is God above all. And yet there's equally a glory and beauty that he became man. The Son of God became the God-man. In John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh. So this, this, this Word, this eternal Son of God, became a man. He once was not flesh, he was spirit. With the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And when he entered into the world, he became flesh. Became a man. So the eternal Son of God took on humanity along with his deity. He wasn't stripped of his deity. He added on humanity. And in doing so, he became fully God and fully man at the same time. And he will always be fully God and fully man into eternity. So listen, Christmas isn't so much about Jesus' birthday as it is his becoming a human day. God became man at Christmas. This is the incredible truth of the incarnation. It's a mystery. It's beyond our comprehension. How could God squeeze into a human body, so to speak? And Colossians 2, 9 says, the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. We sang about this today. I love this lyric from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. That's just mind-boggling. J.I. Packer said this about the incarnation, the babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. Charles Spurgeon also says this about the incarnation, infinite and an infant. Well, that sums it up, doesn't it? Infinite and yet an infant. Eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels and yet reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of Christmas, seeing Jesus as the son of God who is also the God-man. And John adds, is the very light of the world. Look at verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, light is a key word in John's gospel. He uses this 22 different times. It's repeated seven times here in this text alone. And light, as you know, is a metaphor for who Jesus is. And darkness is a metaphor for the spiritual condition of this world. I don't have to tell you this, we live in a dark place. This world is a dark place. It's dark spiritually. It's a lost world. It's a broken world, a world corrupted with sin and evil and suffering, which is why life is so hard here. 
Pastor Josh prayed it this morning. Some of you here are coming into the Christmas season, and you're not happy and healthy and holly jolly. Some of you are feeling rather helpless and hopeless and hurting this Christmas season. You feel the effects of this fallen, darkened world. And Christmas only magnifies the darkness around us. But listen, we could talk all day about the darkness outside of us, but the real problem is the darkness inside of us. It's the sin and deceit of our own hearts in rebellion against God. It's the darkness that we bring upon ourselves. It's the sinful habits, the selfish attitudes, our proneness to wander in all the wrong places. And here's the deal. We can't overcome this darkness on our own. We can't. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22 Isaiah writes, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. In Isaiah's day, people were actually consulting mediums, trying to find answers to life's problems, trying to escape the darkness however they could. And some of you in this room today, you're wondering, what, what's my purpose in life anyway? Life is so dark and dismal and discouraging, and you're trying to find the light horizontally, and the good news of Christmas is that the light has come down to you. We need light from the outside, and Jesus has come to bring that light because he himself is that light. Light has come into the world, and yet it all started with a humble man named John. John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So this was John the Baptist. This was not John the apostle who's writing this gospel. But both Johns want to make it crystal clear who the spotlight is on. It's not on John the Baptist. John is just a witness to the light. Later on, we're going to see who the real light is in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says this, and Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite parts of Christmas, since I've been a kid, is singing Silent Night at the Christmas Eve service and having the, the candles all lit up. It's one of those traditions that never gets old. Yet it may surprise you, but when Jesus spoke these words thousands of years ago, it was into a context somewhat similar to a Christmas Eve candlelight service. So God's people were all gathered together. It was a huge party to celebrate the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles and the Festival of Lights. And they, they wanted to remember together how God had provided for them in the wilderness and how he had given them uh, light to lead them by a pillar of fire, light at night. And so they lit candles, and they, they sang songs together. And then at the end of the festival, when all the candles had been extinguished, Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. In other words, I am the glorious presence of God in your midst. I am the giver of life and the giver of light. I am the Son of God who has come 
down to this earth to overcome the darkness. And so how did he do it? Why did he come? That's the second question we want to seek to answer. Why? Why did Jesus come? Three reasons why. And they all correspond to who Jesus is. As the light of the world, Jesus came to reveal God to us. As the light of the world, he came to reveal God to us. As the God-man, he came to identify with us. And as the Son of God, he came to save us. So first, he came to reveal God to us. As the light of the world, he reveals, right? He illuminates, he awakens our hearts to spiritual reality. Most of us know the feeling of what it's like to be in the darkness. It's not a very comfortable feeling. We know what it's like when the power goes out, the lights go out on us. It's not a comfortable feeling. We need that light. A few years ago, I'm at church. I'm thinking I'm all alone. And so I'm walking down throughout the church and just kind of praying and thinking. And I go down to the bathroom by the gym and flip on the light. I'm in there and... uh, Not even a minute goes by when I hear some footsteps, and all of a sudden, someone turns off the light on me. (laughs) So there I am, I'm in the dark, all by myself, feeling a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit vulnerable right then and there, need some light, and I didn't have the guts to say, hey, I'm in here. Later, I found out, I've shared this story before, later I found out um, uh, Jess Harklock came up to me and said, "That, that was me. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I guess I can't blame her. She's just trying to do her job as custodian, being frugal, trying to save on her electric bill. That's a good thing. Yet most of us here, we've had a moment like that when all of a sudden, darkness, and we're all alone. And yet spiritually speaking, that's all of us apart from Jesus. We're all living in the darkness, and we're not even aware of it. We don't even recognize our need for God. In John 1, verse 9, it says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. So what does it mean that he enlightens everyone? It doesn't mean that he saves everyone. It simply means that he has come into this world to show us the truth to reveal and illuminate for us who God is. And one of the ways he does that is through creation. In Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. And so God has set up in his creation to speak loud about who he is and how great and how glorious he truly is. I think of the chorus in Joy to the World, and heaven and nature sing, right? Yet creation, creation isn't enough for us to know him. We need him to speak to us, and he has done so through his word. In Hebrews chapter 1, says this long ago at many times, and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And so even today, Jesus is speaking to us through his word. And it's not just the written word, it's the word that has become Flesh in John 1 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Jesus has made the Father known. And so his incarnation brings revelation, illumination, so we can see God for who he really 
is. And so, why did Jesus come? As the light of the world, he came to reveal God to us. Secondly, as the God-man, he came to identify with us. In John 1.14, it says again, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling literally means to pitch a tent, to tabernacle with us. And it kind of harkens back to the Old Testament days when God would meet with his people in the tabernacle. And so John is saying here is that this place has now been replaced with a person. Jesus is now the place where we meet with God. And so to dwell among us means that Jesus came near to us. He's our Emmanuel, God with us. That's Christmas. He's near to us, God with us. And we think, well, so what? Big deal. And we forget that he's the eternal son of God and he's holy and he had to enter into sinful humanity. That's not a small thing and we ought not to take it for granted. And so why did he come that way? Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That is such a sweet verse. Jesus came down, put on human flesh, experienced all the weakness of living in this frail and darkened world, and he did so to identify with you to understand what you go through. When you think nobody understands, Jesus does. He understands what it means to live in a fallen, broken world. And he sympathizes with you in your weakness. Child of God, are you feeling weak today? In your sin, feeling shame and guilt? And Jesus comes near He's not holding out the stiff arm until you get it all cleaned up. He's come near to you to identify with you, to sympathize with you, so that he could then die on a cross for you. You think about the baby in the manger. We sanitize this story so much at Christmas. This was a lowly, stinky place. And yet he stooped even lower even further down to die for us. Philippians 2, 6 to 8 says, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus came down to us to show us the way up to God. David Platt gives this illustration. You picture God on the top of a mountain, and we're all on the bottom of that mountain, and I may take this path up, you may take that path up, but in the end, we'll all end up in the same place, right? So many people in the world believe this. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe something, because all those paths end up at the same place, right? You're all headed towards God in the end. But the Bible gives us a different picture. 
You see, the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for us to find our way up to him. He actually came down to where you are. God has not left us alone to try to find our way up to him. He has come down to us, and he has made the way to himself through his son, Jesus. That's the beauty of Christ coming to us at Christmas. He came to reveal God to us, to identify with us, and ultimately to save us. John 3, 16 to 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why the angel told Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so, number one, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the God-man, and he is the light of the world. Number two, why did he come? To reveal God to us, to identify with us, and ultimately to save us. And finally, number three, what's your response? What's your response to Jesus this Christmas? Look at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And that's pretty shocking when you think about it. John is saying that when Jesus came to this earth as the Son of God, the God-man, and the light of this world, many people didn't even recognize him. Worse yet, rejected him. Now, he's speaking first about the Jews, the people of Israel, the chosen nation that should have recognized him, should have received him, since all the promises in the Old Testament are pointing to him. And you might think, well, how could they do that? How could they miss him? But it's not just them, it's us too. Some of us in this room, we still sit in the darkness, unable to recognize Jesus for who he is. Or worse yet, we've heard about him, but refuse to receive him. We keep on rejecting him. And John says it this way a couple chapters later in John 3, 19 to 20. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And so listen to John's logic here. Light has come into this world and what's our response in our sin? We just keep doing sinful things because we don't want to be exposed by the light. And so we keep loving the darkness and hating the light and so refuse to come into the light. And you might think, well, that's not me. But listen closely. Be honest. Do you love the darkness or do you love the light? Do you love the darkness because it allows you to continue in the lifestyle that you want to live? And when the light of God's word shines upon you, are you like a plant that wants to soak it up? Or are you more like a little bug under a rock who wants to squirm and hide? Some of you, you want to give the appearance of being a good moral person. 
So you're here, and I'm glad. But when the weekend rolls around, you keep doing the dance, you keep living a double life. Because you, you want to keep living in the darkness. And the dangerous truth is that if you keep living and walking in the darkness, one day God will turn you over to the darkness forever. If that's what you want, he'll give you up to it forever. There are others of you in this room today, you might feel the guilt of your sin, like I've gone too far, there's no way God would ever take me back. So when the light shines upon you, you think he's, he's shining it in order to shame you so you, you'd run away from him. That's not what he's doing. He's shining the light upon you in order for you to get out of that deep, dark hole that you're in. How will you respond to him when he shines the light even today? The light of his holiness as the son of God who loves you who came down to this earth to die on a cross for you, how will you respond to him? There's another way to respond to the light. Verses 12 and 13, John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who have come into the light, you have the right to become a child of God, to be saved from your sin, to be transferred from this domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it has nothing, it has nothing to do with your family, your bloodline. In verse 13, he says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That means you aren't born a Christian, right? No one has been a Christian their whole life. You can't say that. It doesn't work that way. It has nothing to do with your parents' faith. Your parents' faith is not your faith. And it has nothing to do with your efforts, the will of the flesh, the will of man. You can't become a Christian by trying to be a better person. You can't get your act together and clean it all up and try to present your best foot forward to God and, and think he'll accept you. No. God says if you believe, you become a child of God. Remember, that's why John is writing this gospel, so that you would believe in Jesus Christ. And that belief, it's a gift from God. It happens when you're born of God, when he does this miracle in your heart to where he gives you new eyes to see Jesus as the Son of God, and you see your sin, and you can't help but want him to forgive you and save you and rescue you. Perhaps he's doing that even now. If so, that is a gift from God. It's not about doing something. It's about believing in someone. In John 6, 28 to 29, it says, then they said to him, well, what must we do? Maybe some of you are out there. What do I need to do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says this, this is the work of God, that you believe, that you believe in him whom he sent. So I'm just standing up here today alongside Jesus and John, and I'm saying, believe. Just believe in the Son of God. Not believe really hard, Intensely, deeply, sincerely, if that were the condition, then you'd have to do something again, right? It would still be about you and how much you believe. 
Kind of reminds me of the movie Elf. Toward the end of this movie, some of you remember. So they're, they're singing, Santa Claus is coming to town, and they're trying to lift the sleigh off the ground. We have this clausometer that's measuring the, the spirit, the Christmas spirit, right? And so they're singing, and all of a sudden more people join in and singing, and, and finally that thing tips over the edge, and the sleigh lifts up off the ground. And some of you think that God's got a believometer, all right? And, and he's looking at you, and he's waiting for you just to believe a little bit more. You don't believe quite enough yet. Believe more, and then maybe you'll get off the ground and impress God, and finally you'll be forgiven. No. It's not how much you believe, how much you can muster it up. Believing is a gift from God. It's about trusting in Jesus and relying upon Jesus, and it starts with seeing Jesus, seeing with the eyes of your heart who Jesus is. So, have you seen him? Have you seen Jesus in all his glory? Look at John 1.14 again. And it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you seen his glory? And you might say, well, no. Of course I haven't seen him because I wasn't actually there to see him in person. But neither were John's readers. They were just like us. And listen, it's, it's not a liability. You're not at a disadvantage if you, if you weren't there to see Jesus in person. In fact, it might be an advantage for you today because you now can see the whole story. You can see right here on the pages of Scripture who the Son of God really is. It's on full display today. You've seen who He is and what He came to do. He's the Son of God. He's the God-man. He's the light of the world. And there's a beauty and transcendence about Him. And He's come to reveal Himself to you today. So do you see the glory of Jesus do you see him for who he is? Has he revealed himself to you? If so, then receive him. Believe in him. Receiving him for who he is as the Son of God, trusting and submitting to him. John 1.12 says again, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so receive him this Christmas, believe in him this Christmas, come into the light this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I know that you know every heart here in this room. You know every story, every person. And right now, I believe that you are shining your light and calling people to believe in you. I pray that if there's one here today who feels their heart is opening to you, to, to see you, Jesus, for the first time as the one who came to die on a cross to save them from their sin, that they would simply believe. God, help us to pray something like this in our hearts even now. God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have failed you. I know that I have tried to live a good life, but I keep failing, and it's exhausting. I, I want to stop living this way. 
I want to get rid of the guilt and the shame when I go to bed at night. And God, I know that you have sent Jesus to me to die upon that cross, to take all the punishment I deserve, and you've risen from the grave. And I believe that. I believe in you. I don't know what else to do, but I just want to believe in you. Help me to follow you, for you to be my Savior, for you to be my Lord, for you to take control of my life. Father, I thank you that you are working in our hearts, and I pray that for those of us who are believers in Christ today, we would worship you as the Son of God. We would be in love with you so much that we couldn't help but speak of you and sing of you and live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.